born to die that he might give eternal life that I might live Welcome to Yankee Arnold Ministries. Dr. Arnold will be with you in just a moment, but first, we want you to know how much we appreciate your prayers and financial support. You may help this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Again, that's 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Feel free to send Dr. Arnold your questions or comments to yankee at yankeearnold.com, and he will respond as quickly as possible. Now, here is Dr. Arnold with today's message. Turn in your Bible to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, and chapter 1. The book of Acts chapter 1. Last week we began a study in the book of Acts. And we will have a few messages in the book of Acts. And I hope that it gives you an overview of some of the important things that you'll find as you go through the book. I'm not one that takes time on every verse and every word. I want to cover too much material for that. If I did, it would take me into the millennium to finish a book. So I give overviews. And then hopefully you'll catch a little bit here and there that whenever you sit and read and study it on your own, you say, ah, I understand that. That goes here and that goes there and that goes there. So anyway, in the book of Acts, as we mentioned last week, divided into two parts, first 12 chapters, Peter, Jerusalem, the Jews, within the state, the country. And then the second half of it from chapter 13 to chapter 28, you have the Apostle Paul and uh, the central city is Antioch and deals with the Jews outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel, where it went into all the world. It is a book that is the continuation of what Jesus began to do in the Gospels. So this is a continuation of the acts of the Holy Spirit in the life of the apostles. And he had told them to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So there's a few things that I want to mention to you this morning. And one is the passion of Christ. And one is the promise of Christ. One is the power. And one is the prophecy all within the first chapter. And so as you look at this book, you'll find out that there's a sequence, an order, and how you're supposed to follow it and understand it. The Bible tells us that Luke, who was used to write the book of Luke, was Dr. Luke, a physician who traveled with Paul on most of his missionary journeys and was the writer that God used to write the book of Acts So look there in verse 3. This is after the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And it says, To whom also he showed 
himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs. Things that they could not deny. They saw Christ crucified. They saw him buried and they saw him when he came back again from the dead. There has to be some kind of a serious explanation on why these disciples who were so afraid, locked in an upper room, scared for their lives, and all of a sudden they weren't afraid anymore. They weren't afraid to die anymore because they saw somebody from the dead. Now, you really wouldn't be afraid of death if you knew you'd come right back. Come right back. So how many times do you want to kill me? I can come right back. The Lord gave us some wonderful things here in this book. But in verse 3, he talks about the passion of Christ. And so this is the reason why he came to start with. So now what he wants the people to do is tell them what he did. You see, the Lord, when he came into the world, came for a reason. He came to die. And it says that a body hast thou prepared me. So Mary was used by God to bring this child into the world, but this wasn't just any child. This was the holy child. This was the holy one mentioned in the book of Isaiah over and over again. So Jesus Christ was born. And when he was born, he grew and fulfilled the law and he earned the right to justify others by his death. Because you see, I can't die for you and you can't die for me to pay for our sins between us and God because we have all sinned and all come short of the glory of God. But Jesus Christ had no sin, so he did not have to die. So when he died on the cross, it was to pay for the sins of the whole world so that anybody in the world could accept that payment he made, have eternal life, and go to heaven whenever they die. Now, the Lord told them that before they go, this is what I want you to do. Just take your Bible and look there in the book of Luke, the last chapter in the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter 24. And look what he says in verse 46. Luke chapter 24, verse 46 says, And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So Christ come back from the dead. They had received the command, the great commission to go into all the world. And he says it's to start to begin in Jerusalem and then uh, all the nations. But before they were to go, they were to wait. So he says there in verse 49, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. So we have the passion of Christ, the death of Christ, all the suffering that he went through and his resurrection from the dead. You see, that's the story that we're supposed to tell. That was the command given to the apostles to go into all the world and preach this story. Evidently, this must be the greatest story ever told. There is no story as great as this story that God wants every person in this world to hear this story. So we know why he came. We know why he died. 
and that he came back again from the dead, showed himself by many infallible proofs, so there'd be no doubt, no question to his disciples who were going to have to give their lives for him. And give their lives they did. But he says, I'm going to give you a promise. I am going to come to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait there until you are endued with power from on high. Now, take your Bible and turn to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John in chapter 14. John chapter 14, you'll notice there in uh, verse 16, when Jesus was alive, he made a promise to them. And in verse 16, and I will pray or ask the Father, he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So he says, I've got another comforter who's going to come. And this comforter, he says, is just like me. And he's going to come, and he's going to abide with you forever. And he says here in verse 17, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, only believers can receive the Holy Spirit. Lost men cannot receive the Holy Spirit. He says, because it seeth him not. He says, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. In the Old Testament, he was with them, but in the New Testament, he shall be within you. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit himself. So you look up there in verse 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So the Holy Spirit is the Comforter, just like the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is just like Christ. And he is going to come and not only be with you, he's going to be in you. And so this was a promise that he made to his disciples. Now go to the book of Acts in chapter 1. The book of Acts at chapter 1. And you'll notice when he makes the statement here in verse 4, being assembled together, with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. So he had already given the great command. And then in Luke 24, he says, but wait until you are endued with power from on high. He made a promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come. And now he says, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but he that cometh after me shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. So he made that statement in the book of Mark chapter 1 verse 8, but look what he says here in verse 5. John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence. So it was only going to be a few days. It already spent 40 days, so about 10 days was going to pass. And the Holy Spirit was supposed to come. It was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When John the Baptist was here, the forerunner of Christ, he says, I baptize you with water, but he that cometh after me shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now, during Christ's ministry of three and a half years, nobody was baptized by the Holy Spirit. And if you will, look there in John in chapter 7. Just look in John chapter 7. And you'll notice down here in verse 37, where he says, in the last day, 
that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And as the Scripture hath saith, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit, as he said up there in verse 39, which they that believe on him should receive. For as yet the Holy Spirit had not yet been given. And Christ had not yet been glorified. Christ hadn't made the payment for sin, come back from the dead, so the Comforter cannot come until he leaves. But he says, when I leave, I am going to send the Holy Spirit. And you will be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. So, Christ has now come from the dead. So, he has been glorified. And the Bible says, Christ told him, you wait there in Jerusalem until you are endued with power. He had told him to go, but he says, now wait until you have the Holy Spirit within you. Now, look there in verse 5 again of chapter 1 of the book of Acts. Where it says, ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. So we know that this promise that there is going to be the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Now take your Bible and turn to chapter 2. Chapter 2. Where he made the statement in verse 32. This Jesus hath God raised up whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God, exalted and having, having received, which is past tense, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he had shed forth this which he now see and hear. So between this verse and in Acts in chapter 1 and verse 5, not many days hence, it had to have been fulfilled. That's why in chapter 2 and verse 1, when the time was fully come, it makes the statement that the Holy Spirit came. Look in verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, 50 days from the resurrection, 40 plus the 10. And he says, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. Verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, and the Spirit gave them utterance. We'll get into that more in detail later. But between chapter 1 and the last part of chapter 2, you having received its past tense. So it did happen, and the promise came right on schedule, like God says. And it didn't happen because all of the disciples were gathered together in an upper room and praying in one accord. And they prayed down the pipe. No, they did not. It came as a result of a promise that Christ has already made. It was the fulfillment. And he told them not many days from here, the Holy Spirit's going to come. So the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost just like he was supposed to. Now, look again at verse 6. Of the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 6. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Now, he may reveal that later, but uh, at this point, it had not been revealed. Now, look there in verse 8. In verse 8 tells us about the power, the power. It means that God is going to give the authority to them to go and the power to do what he wants them to do. 
wouldn't it be a shame for Jesus Christ to give his disciples a command they could not fulfill? Wouldn't it be a shame for him to ask us to do something that we could not do? Or to live in such a way that we could not perform? Whatever it is God wants us to do, we can do. Is it that we won't do it? Is it we can, but we won't? It would be wonderful to see what could have been accomplished by the church in 2,000 years if God's children all did what God says do. It's not that God didn't send somebody to reach the world. It's just that they won't go. And then those that do go, those that don't go, won't support them while they go. It's just like sometimes even in a place of government. Sometimes good men don't get into office because other good people don't vote for the good people. We're going to get trash if we vote for trash, period. Now, when it comes to the Lord, we have a responsibility, and this is why we want to have a a free country, so that we can freely perform our responsibility to God. There has to be a reason for us to want to fight for freedom so that we can raise our families the way we want to, according to what God says. You see, no nation ever enjoyed freedom like America has enjoyed freedom. And that freedom was only because of God, Christ, the Bible in this country. Now, we no longer need the Bible, no longer need God. We're going to lose our freedom. All this that you see going on, if you'll remember about six months or so ago, I told you they're going to be starting their demonstrations in the streets. You said, I don't remember you saying it. Yes, I did. I got tape. I got proof. I said what they're going to be doing, and they are doing it. And then after a while, I said it's going to turn ugly, and it will turn ugly. We're only only the beginning part of it. You see, when you know the Bible and you know how the human nature works, you can tell what's going to take place before it ever happens. Because, you see, there's people who want government to take care of them. You owe me. You owe me. But, see, all the problems America is having because we got away from God We got away from the Bible and living the way God says to live. We got away from loving one another and taking care of one another and providing for ourselves and working hard to get something. Well, I know that's anathema to a lot of people. Work is a a dirty word. But here in the book of Acts now, talks about something wonderful. He told them what to do, but he says you need the power to do it. And it's not only the right or the authority to do something. There is the ability, the enabling of the Holy Spirit to enable his children to do what God wants him to do. Now, you may not allow the Holy Spirit that lives within you the right to do what he has the right to do. You can deny the Holy One the right of using your body for his honor and glory. Now, we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is where Christ is the baptizer. He, Christ, will baptize you into the body of Christ. That means he takes and he places you in the body. That's not something that you do. I cannot perform the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Neither can you. Neither can anybody. Christ is the baptizer. 
He will baptize you. He's going to place you into his body by the Holy Spirit. And it would be like this, if you can picture this. When Christ was on the cross, he was there for me. So in God's eyes, that was me hanging on that cross. I was on the cross, and I died there, and I paid for my sins, and I was buried, and I came back again from the dead. Because the Bible talks about me being crucified with Christ and been buried with Christ and been raised with Christ and ascended with Christ because what he did was for me, like I did it. But I didn't really do it. He did it for me. It's substitution. He was put in my place. So I have been placed into the body of Christ by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible talks about us being sealed by the Holy Spirit. See, in the book of Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 13, it talks about you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. The very moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, the Holy Spirit sealed you in Christ. You are safe and secure. You're in Him. And He will never cast you out, and He will never lose you. Impossible. When I trusted Christ as my Savior... 51 years ago in a little old living room in Athens, Georgia, the Bible says that I was baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. I have been sealed, and nobody can break that seal. I am in Christ. So I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, Ephesians 4.30. And the Bible also talks here about us being indwelt So I've been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and it says, if any man, in the book of Romans in chapter 8, has not been indwelt or is not indwelt by the Holy Spirit, he says he's none of his. If you do not have the Holy Spirit of God, you are not saved. Because he says, if you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not have Christ. You do not have the Holy Spirit, you are not saved. We are born by the Holy Spirit of God. So when I trusted Christ as my Savior, I was baptized by the Spirit into the body of Christ. I have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible talks to us about being filled with the Spirit. Now, there's no command to be baptized by the Spirit in the Word of God because it's automatic. But there is Scripture that commands us to be filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians chapter 5. So I am commanded to be filled with the Spirit, but being filled with the Spirit simply means to be controlled by the Spirit. You see, if you're filled with love, love controls you. Filled with hatred, hatred controls you. You feel with jealousy, jealousy controls you. So if you're filled with the Spirit, it means the Holy Spirit controls you. And on the day of Pentecost, though they were baptized by the Holy Spirit, they were also, as they yielded themselves to the Lord, they were also able to speak in tongues. They were filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. And because they were controlled by the Holy Spirit, they were able to speak in languages that they never had to learn. And the people that came because of Passover, all these Jews from other countries that came there and had various languages, they were able to hear and understand the message that was preached. None of this was unknown language. They spoke in a language that people could understand. That's the power of the Holy Spirit speaking through them. So there was an uh, enabling for God's people. Now, you may not be able to speak in various languages, but you can deliver a powerful message. The message that saved me, the message that saved you, 
is the gospel that is the most powerful message in all the world. You see there in verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and, all, and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, I want you to hold your place here, but look there in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 1. 1 Corinthians and chapter 1. And look in verse 18. I believe that if you see this, it will it'll do wonders for you. We often talk about, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, how can I get the power of God in my life? As though it's some mystical thing somewhere, you know, if you can just find it. Think you've got to go to a grocery store and buy it on the shelf. And when you think, well, I don't feel anything. Well, you can't feel the Spirit. I know we sing a song, every time I feel the Spirit moving in my... Well, you can't feel the Spirit. I mean, if there's the Holy Spirit standing right here beside me, I could not feel the Spirit. Now, there's results of the Holy Spirit working in my life. There's results of Him teaching me things from the Word of God that cause me joy. And as the Bible says, He is the great comforter. But when you do not yield yourself to the great comforter, uh, then He becomes the great discomforter. And you will not be as comforted as you could have been. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, look in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Now, I know that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, as it says in Romans 1, 16. Because when I heard the gospel for the first time, I realized that I was lost that I needed to be saved, and that message broke me down. I literally wept. I never seen anybody ever do this before. I never saw anybody ever get saved before. As I know of, I was the first one in the whole world. I never saw anybody else. But I was 18, and it finally made sense to me, and I, I bawled like a baby. Now, there's a certain amount of knowledge that can so, you know, get a hold of that little heart of yours and squeeze it a little bit, make the tears flow. But I heard it, and I understood, and I was just overwhelmed with joy. I know now I have eternal life, and I'm going to heaven when I die. And it was the power of God unto salvation. It saved my soul. God gave me eternal life, and I became his child for all eternity. Now, believe it or not, the greatest power in my life for the last 51 years has been the power of the gospel. To those who are saved, the gospel, it is the power of God. That was the power that motivated me to start a church, to start a ranch, to start a school, to start a college, to start a radio broadcast. That gospel is the power that makes us do what we're supposed to do. That is that power that drives and motivates you. I know a guy that even wrote a book called The Gospel-Driven Man. You ever heard of it before? We have it on the shelf right in there. Got my picture on the front. 
But the gospel-driven man, it's the gospel that drives the man, and it's the power of God for all your life. And if the gospel doesn't drive you, there's no power in your life. There's no reason to do what you do. Why go to church? Why give money to missions? Why give money to support the radio broadcast? Why get involved in ranch? Why do anything? There's no power there. But if you want to reach the lost, it's the power that motivates you to do everything else that you do. To those who are saved, it is the power of God. Now, do you want the power of God in your life? That message ought to motivate you. Were you ever told that you must confess Christ before men to be saved? Were you warned that if you refused to confess Christ, He would not confess you before the Father? Just what does that mean? Pastor Yankee Arnold has prepared just the right book with answers straight from the Bible. The book is called Gospel Driven Man, and Pastor Yankee wants to send it to you free of charge. Simply write to Pastor Yankee at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634, and request the book or request by email at yankee at yankeearnold.com. That's yankee at yankeearnold.com. Thanks for listening to today's broadcast. We pray that today's message was a blessing to you and your family. You may help support this radio ministry by donating online at yankeearnold.com or by mail at Yankee Arnold Ministries, 7028 West Waters Avenue, Suite 316, Tampa, Florida, 33634. Friend, one day it will happen. The trumpet will sound, and we will be changed, caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So live today and every day, believing that the Lord is coming soon, and just keep looking up. Amazing grace amazes me.